0: It's good. Oh, it's good. Thank you, guys, for leading us in worship. Amen. Yeah, deeply appreciated. And yeah. yes. Yes, yes, if you have Bibles, you might open them uh, with me to Luke chapter twenty-three. We're going to read in just a moment. Luke chapter twenty-three. But before we get there, I want to I want to um, just say one thank you again for celebrating Easter uh, with us. I was just over in the kids' building. Your kids are having a blast. They're having fun. And that doesn't mean we can't have fun in here, right? Amen. Right? In fact, one of their leaders told the kids that if the parents act up, I'm the guy who has to deal with that. So, you know I don't know what this is about, but we'll find out. So I'm certainly glad that you're celebrating Easter with us today. We're beginning a new series today called Asking for a Friend. You've certainly seen that hashtag online before. It it works like this. When you have a question that's a little embarrassing or maybe a little difficult or something uh, that, uh, you know, you pretend to be asking for someone else. It works kind of like this. How many days can I go without showering? (laughs) Asking for a friend. Right. Right. Because because I don't want to know how many days I can go without showering. But, uh, you know, my friend might. Right, It turns out that I thought showering was kind of a daily thing until I got married and had daughters. And, and it turns out showering for them is a daily thing. I'm not trying to say something embarrassing about them. But I had no idea the struggle women go through over how often to wash their hair, you know. It, it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm a guy. I washed my hair, you know. I, Right, so there's a lot of asking for a friend things, right? Those of us that are a little further along in years, we might post something and say, hey, what if I'm 60 and I haven't saved a dime for retirement? Asking for a friend. Right, those of us that are college age might say, I know it's frowned upon to drop out of college, but what do you really think? Asking for a friend, right? Right, that this is just kind of what we do. You know, do they let do they let the adults ride on the kids' rides at Disneyland? How do you think my husband would? uh, You know, what would my husband think if I brought home another puppy? Right, there are all kinds of things we might ask the internet uh, for a friend, if you will. So the next six weeks, I want to spend some time asking some difficult, sometimes hard, if I'm honest, some questions that we don't really want to talk about at church. I want to ask and answer those questions from the Bible over the next six weeks. Today, we're going to ask: Do you really expect me to believe that Easter still makes a difference? I would imagine a lot of you do believe that, but there's a whole host of people out around us, culturally speaking, tons of people around us today that are more consumed with the masters or with whatever else going on in their lives. I'm sorry to bring that up. If you're again, kudos to you for your commitment. Right, you're here. They do make DVRs and things of recording that, right? You record that stuff, you play it back later. And and so so today we're going to ask if Easter really still makes a difference. Next week, we're going to ask, we'll ask it this way. There are a lot of people, again, maybe not you, but around us in society, around us, who would say, look, the resurrection seems too much like nonsense to be factually believable. You know, I mean, for an educated person, there are a lot of people who would say, I just can't believe in miracles like that. Do you really expect me to believe Jesus went out, went in dead and came out alive? And I'm going to absolutely say yes, but I'm a preacher. You would expect that. So I'm going to answer that question next Sunday. We're going to ask some really difficult questions, some really hard questions. You know, life is painful for a lot of folks. Someone might say, I'm thinking about suicide. What does God think about that? In light of what we see in both our community and across the nation today, I think it's important that the church have an answer for a question like that. Why does Jesus care so much about who I sleep with? We'll get to that in a few weeks. If God won't give me more than I can handle, which is truth, the Bible never says that. But if God won't give me more than I can handle, why am I having so much trouble handling what God has given me? These are the kinds of questions I want to ask and answer over the next six weeks. And I'm going to challenge you right up front today, and I'll come back to it at the end. Give us six weeks. Give us six weeks. See the answers to these questions and see what a difference God would make in your life. So again, today I want to ask, do you really expect me to believe that Easter really makes a difference. Absolutely. Let me read to you again from the Easter story. Let me tell you why I believe that. This is from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to start uh, chapter 23, Luke 23, verse 32. Maybe you'd read along with me. It says, two other men, and, and Rachel read part of this a while ago, two other men, both criminals were also led out with him, with Jesus, to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Now, by the way, do you know the crime for which these two criminals were being executed? They're commonly referred to as thieves. seems like an odd punishment for... Somebody that stole a purse or swiped your TV in the middle of the night. I don't think they swiped TVs. Just guessing. We'll talk about what their crime really was as we work our way through this today. It was far more than being a thief. So there was one on his left, one on his right. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they, the people crucifying him, divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. The word sneer means to deride. It literally means to turn up the nose. It is a literal looking down your nose at someone. A lot of people did that back in the day and so if you were to ask hey do you really expect me to believe that this really makes a difference I would just point out to you there were a whole lot of people back then that thought this was if anything a joke people sneered at him keep reading the story the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. This is what they were looking down their nose saying. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. You know, I mean, if he's really like God in the flesh, all that stuff he claimed to be, then just come down off that cross. Save yourself. Show us. Then we'll believe. Now they didn't really mean that. They meant the part about come down off the cross, but they didn't. they, they weren't going to believe if he did that. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. The word "mock" goes a little bit further than sneering. Sneering is looking down your nose. Mock means to make sport of, to be subject to laughter, to ridicule for one's own pleasure. That they were they were laughing at what they were doing to Jesus. They mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, "If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself! Come on." And there was a written notice above him which they put there that read, "This." This is the king of the Jews. They meant that as mockery as well. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Notice what he says. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. And, you know, since while you're at it, if you're going to come down from the cross and save yourself, save us too. Right? Like, what's in it for me? Now, the Gospel of Matthew actually tells us that both of the criminals hurled this insult at Jesus, that they both, at least for a time, mocked Jesus, if you will. But the other criminals, you got one on the right or left, I don't know which was on which side, but you got one who says, he mocks Jesus, and he says, hey, you know, save yourself. Come on, prove it. But, you know, if you can really do it, you should save us too. I mean, we're in this together, right? But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I want to hone in on those verses today, but I want to make sure we know how the story continues. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, the Gospels tell us. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. So in a lot of senses, that's the story of what we commonly call Good Friday, right? That was two days ago, noon, three in the afternoon, darkness over the whole land. I sometimes call Good Friday other names. I told first service that this last week I was talking with my wife and and, uh, daughter who's at home now, and um, she's home from college for a bit, and um, I said, I said, I I called Good Friday Black Friday. And they were like, Black Friday? Black Friday's in November, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but I I think... I think we sometimes rush over the hard part of Good Friday. Now, it's good because of what happened on the cross. That cross is redemption. We'll get to that. But it was a dark day. Not just because it turned dark for three hours, right? It was a dark day. Now, I had somebody in first service who grew up in Sweden. And he said, I don't know about other cultures, but in our culture, we called it Long Friday because of the long suffering of Jesus. That's appropriate. So here's what happens from here. Let me give you a bit of the story. There's a centurion, a guard that's there overseeing things. He says, surely this was a righteous man or surely this man was the son of God. One of the other gospels comes and tells us. And there was a man, a part of the ruling council, who was responsible for having Jesus crucified, who followed Jesus in secret. His name was Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And he came and he said, can I have the body of Jesus And so he went public with what became his faith and he took the body of Jesus and there was a garden nearby, the Gospel of John tells us, and he took the body of Jesus and he put it in his own tomb. The tomb where he would die and be buried, he put Jesus in it. So he was a very wealthy man. He had another friend come along who also was a secret follower of Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. And the two of them embalmed Jesus in essence. They wrapped him in linens and spices and they put the body of Jesus into a tomb, and they sealed it over. And the women who were there watching Jesus be crucified watched Jesus die. They watched Him breathe His last. They followed to the tomb, and they saw it, and the tomb was sealed. Guards were actually placed there to make sure nothing would happen. That's Good Friday. Now what's going to happen is resurrection. That's what we celebrate today, Easter Sunday. But in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is what is sometimes called Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday. And I bring this up to you because I think it's worth noting that Good Friday is in what Jesus has done on our behalf. When, when Jesus cries out one of the other Gospels, it is finished And Resurrection Sunday is about the power of God and the hope of God and the fact that Jesus is alive, and we're celebrating that today. But our lives are a whole lot like that Saturday in between. Because you and I live between what Jesus has started and what Jesus one day will finish. And when there's pain in our life and when there's suffering in our life and when God seems silent in our life, and that might be you today. I certainly want you to know that Sunday's coming. That in our lives we absolutely leave, live in a sense. And I'm not trying to convince you that Jesus has not already risen from the dead. He has. But you and I, in the pains in our bodies, in the suffering in this world, live in between what Jesus has finished on the cross and what will be finalized for eternity. So we have these two criminals, these two thieves, if you will. And for a lot of the people around and for one of the thieves themselves, this was a joke. This mockery. There was insincerity in their mockery of Jesus. There was insensitivity in their mockery of Jesus. There was even irony in their mockery because it turns out they were right. Jesus could save himself himself. When Jesus was arrested, Peter got out his sword, he lopped off the servant of the high priest, he lopped off the ear, and Jesus took the moment to bend down, grab the ear, and put it back on the guy, and, which would have been sort of miraculous to watch in and of itself, right? Ear gone, ear back. But in that moment, Jesus said, look, this is what I came for. Don't you think I could call legions of angels to rescue me right now? It turns out their mockery was right. He could save himself. But he didn't. Everyone else saw mockery. The thief, the second thief on the cross, saw a Messiah. Everyone else saw a crazy man, but he saw a king. Everyone else saw a pathetic, defeated teacher, but somehow he saw hope. And I wonder to myself sometimes, what was it if this thief The second thief or criminal started out mocking Jesus at the beginning of the crucifixion. But by the end of the story, he's saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What changed between here and there? In just a few brief seconds, what changed and what changed his mind? And I don't know. But I have a guess. And here's my best guess. In fact, if you're filling in blanks today, I know it took a while to get here, but if you're filling in blanks today in the notes, this would be your first set of blanks. The one thing the message is about, it's sort of the point of this entire message today. I would just point out to you that the entire reason that Jesus could save me is that he didn't save himself. And I think maybe for that thief on the cross who rebuked the other and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, that maybe somewhere along the way he realized that maybe the guy in the middle could save himself and he's choosing not to. And it says he's the king of the Jews. And so he says, hey, remember me like you don't deserve this, but I do remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, "I truly, I tell you, like surely, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't think that that guy was all particularly religious. I don't get the sense that he grew up in synagogue or Sunday school. Right? I mean, he's a, I will tell you in a, a few minutes, he is likely a murdering thief who's being executed for that crime. There's nothing particularly good about him or religious about him, but he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus essentially says, oh, I will. And I am. And today you'll be with me in paradise. I realize as a preacher there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. (laughs) So I'll get right to the point. I want to give you Easter in five words. What Easter means in five words. And I choose five because, frankly, we can learn a lot from this second thief on the cross, the second criminal. And he speaks all of about 30 words in the entire Bible. So if you don't know the Bible at all, that's okay. If you don't understand this book, that's okay. If there's a lot you're confused about or don't fully understand, that's okay. This guy didn't have it all figured out either. Again, Easter in five words, he spoke about 30 of them, maybe at best. Number one, Easter means change. I can change my mind. Not only can I change my mind, my heart can be changed. My life can be changed. My entire eternity can be changed. Easter means change, but it starts with changing my mind. You might be here today and say, hey, I'm one of those guys, I'm one of those gals, I'm one of those ladies That for all my life I have believed, you know, this story just seems really like made up. You might be one of those people who's mocked Jesus before or people who have faith before. You might be a person who says, look, I have a lot of doubts about where any of this would be true. And if you've ever doubted your doubts just enough to think, what if I'm wrong? Maybe like this thief, you today would say, you know what, I can change my mind too. I take this from verse 40. It says, the other criminal rebuked the first one. He said, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for getting what our deeds deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. He rebuked the other guy. This required a significant change of perspective. I think there are a lot of perspectives are second thief on the cross had one he had urgency man I don't know about you but if I'm facing immediate execution there's something feels urgent about that if you know anything about crucifixion you know it was deeply painful his life was fleeting whatever good or bad there was in his life was flashing before his eyes and time was running out he had urgency number two he had conviction. Remember, he said, we're getting punished for what we deserve. Like, what we've done wrong, we deserve this. He knew his crime. A lot of us go through this life sort of pretending that, you know what, I'm really not that bad of a person. I mean, compared to you. And we can always sort of find somebody else to go, I'm better than you. But notice we're looking down our nose when we do that. Which isn't the best of qualities in us. The reality is we're all flawed. We're all broken. Frankly, we're all worse. We all fall short of what God would desire or intend. There's only one perfect guy in the story. It's the guy on the middle cross, and I'm not him. If you want to ask who I'm like in the story, I'm far more like the thief than I am like the guy getting crucified in the middle. Easter means... I can change my mind this this thief had urgency had conviction and he had a willingness to reconsider and I wonder today if you might reconsider your thoughts about Jesus I'm not trying to talk you out of Jesus I'm a preacher I'm trying to talk you in let's be clear (laughs) I wonder if you would give it serious thought this week number two Easter means forgiveness forgiveness Forgiveness—that I can be forgiven by God, that you can be forgiven by God, that you and you and you and you and you and you and you—all and you and you and of you can be forgiven by God—and we would say, but 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 if God knew all I've really done, He could never forgive me. I hate to let you in on this, but He does know. It's sort of like in the definition of being God. He does know, and He's chosen. To forgive you anyway. Verse 34, back earlier in the story, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus, who's being crucified, takes time to pray for the forgiveness of the people who are crucifying Him. I wonder if this isn't a part of the aha for the second thief. This guy can forgive the people nailing him to the cross. If he can forgive them, maybe he can forgive me. And actually, when you read the depths of the Bible and all that theology says, there's an insane amount of forgiveness happening in that moment on that cross. Because literally what's happening is all of the wrong of humanity, you and I and everyone before us and everyone after us, is heaped onto Christ In this moment, in his suffering and in his death. That's more forgiveness than I can possibly bear to understand. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Easter means forgiveness. That I can be forgiven by God. And we'll get to this in a few weeks. Because one of the last questions I want to ask. Or or certainly near the end of the series. I want to talk about regret. You and I often forgive Refuse to forgive ourselves for things Christ has already forgiven. It's like we say that the forgiveness of Christ isn't enough. Easter number three means grace. Grace, that's a biblical word. You know, I mean, it's a fancy word that means undeserved blessing, undeserved kindness, It's often said that grace g-r-a-c-e is god's riches at christ's expense It's getting what you aren't it's getting what you don't deserve grace is when the goodness of god is It's not just the forgiveness of god where the bad stuff is taken away It's the goodness of god that's given to your life when you and I don't deserve it The thief gets right after this He says to the other criminal don't you fear god? since you're under the same sentence we're punished justly we're getting what our deeds deserve we deserve this execution but this man's done nothing wrong nothing so i i told you before that i find it odd that you have a thief being executed right i mean there's appropriate punishment for thieves but executions typically not it it turns out back in the original language in that day they had a lot of words for thieves we might have the same today right robbers and others but i look at this thief on the cross and i think to myself like like he couldn't make an argument that he was better than everybody else he acknowledged he deserved execution he couldn't make an argument that his good outweighed his bad. His sense of, like, remember me in paradise has nothing to do with him being good enough or religious enough or, like, you know, I mean, there was no sense in which you said, Jesus, you remember back there in Isaiah 53? Which, by the way, you should go back and read Isaiah 53 like seriously later today. Because this entire moment and this entire interchange that happens on the cross, it was prophesied, it was predicted hundreds and hundreds of years before that he would be mocked, that all of this would happen. But come back to the thief. The word used here is very specific. They had a word that meant something uh, like common thief or, or burglar, someone who's sneaky, you know, someone who sneaks in like a thief in the night. Actually, that's biblical language, thief in the night. It's it's not the word used for thief here. It's a, it's a different word for thief. There's another word for thief that means something more like a snatcher or a, a mugger. It's the person who, who takes something openly by force. They don't just sneak in when you're asleep or when you're not home, but they physically get involved in, in, in mugging you and taking something from you physically. That's a, that's, a, that's a higher crime because there's more threat to a person involved. But our word is still not that word. They have a third word that means something even stronger. They have a third word that means something more like revolutionary or insurrectionists or terrorists or or my personal favorite, pirate, except these are land pirates. Right? These are the people who murder while doing robbery. And this thief is essentially admitting that that's what he's guilty of. What he deserves is execution. So we would also know that there was supposed to be another guy executed with him. His name was Barabbas. And and Pilate tried to to have Barabbas crucified and Jesus released. And the crowd said, no, give us Barabbas. And it was supposed to be Barabbas who was one of these criminals, one of these, these thieves, one of these... Pirates, if you will. One of these murderers. Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. What about paradise did this man deserve? There's a a famous sermon that goes around online, and I'm not going to pretend to preach it for you or show it to you again, but it's this guy with this uh, deep, like, irish sounding kind of accent or or something of that nature and and he says and he's talking about this thief he says can you imagine in heaven and the angels are trying to figure out why this thief is there and they're, they're like well you know, did you learn this? No. Did you go to a synagogue school? No. Do, do you do you know how to explain this theology or that theology? Can you quote verses from your Bible? And he says, no. And they say, well, what are you doing here? And the guy says, well, I don't know. I just know the man on the middle cross said I could come. Uh, amen. Amen. That's grace. And that's What faith in Jesus is all about. So number four, Easter means these three things. Number four, Easter means acceptance. That I too can reach out with what little faith I have, and God will accept me. A lot of times we think, well, you know, faith is for people like... Like my buddy Jack, he's just like, he's 90, he's been living faith all his life, like he's got this, he's got way more than I do, I don't deserve any of this, I don't have enough faith. Jack, you didn't live it your whole life, did you? you (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you threw a whole party to celebrate that man, you invited the whole church. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. This thief, this this insurrectionist, this this murderous man, there is no sense in which suddenly he has more faith than everybody else. He just has a little faith. But in that little faith, he turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's never been to church because church hadn't been started yet. He's never prayed a sinner's prayer. He's never walked down an aisle or responded to an invitation. He's never even been to a Billy Graham crusade or heard of Billy Graham. He's just watched Jesus be crucified and he sees King of the Jews and he says, Gosh, you've got to be a king and there's got to be a kingdom. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I will. I am. And I honor that faith. I accept you. And again, if you've ever thought, I don't deserve the acceptance of God. You'd be a hundred percent right. But based on what that cross is about, Jesus accepts people just like you and me. And that's why when anyone walks through the doors of our church, what's our take? We love you. We accept you. Is that based on goodness or religiosity or got it all figured out or you're better than me or you got more faith? It's not based on any of that. It's based on who Jesus is. Easter means acceptance. Number five. Easter means hope. Easter means hope. Easter means change. Easter means forgiveness. Easter means grace. Easter means acceptance. And Easter means hope. I can be assured that Jesus is with me and that I will be with Jesus. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus uses the word paradise, he uses a word that, interestingly, sort of borrowed from the Persian language, can also mean garden. And actually, there's a lot to this biblically. But if you want to know, this is a pretty thick book. You ever tried to read it? Yeah, it's a little confusing at times, isn't it? I mean, I will more than admit that. And I lost my spot. That was really good. There it is. All right, let's take it back. So, here's the thing. You want to know everything this book says and get the big picture story. You can get the whole big picture story in three spots. In three stories, essentially. They all involve a garden. The first is Genesis chapter 2, Garden of Eden. Adam, Eve, tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. God said, don't eat from this one. What did what did Adam and Eve do? Oh, they ate from that one. You got you got that right. You got that right. Right. And So they're banished from the garden, from the presence of God, from all the goodness God intended. They are banished from that because if they eat the tree of life while stuck in their sin, then they live eternity without God. In grace, he banishes them. The second story you have to absolutely understand is the very end of the Bible. That one's at the beginning of the Bible. The very end of the Bible is Revelation 22. And it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And in the new earth is the tree of life from Genesis 2. My Bible calls it Eden restored. But if that's paradise lost, this is paradise regained. And it speaks of an eternity of heaven on earth. And what makes the difference between paradise lost and paradise regained? It's a third garden. And I need to read you the rest of the story to make sure you understand. Jesus had been buried. Holy Saturday had happened. Luke 24 verse 1 says, On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Now I would just note for you, this is... The female followers of Jesus who are doing this. Because the male followers of Jesus were to... Something. Chicken, I think I heard that over here somewhere. To something. And the Gospel of John tells us... That the place where Jesus was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. And it was this garden and this tomb, where Joseph of Arimathea had his own tomb, but he laid the body of Jesus, where it lay dead. And the women had followed and watched Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus. They watched the tomb be sealed. They knew exactly where they were going. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. So we're thinking angels here stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? In other words, they expected a dead Jesus. And if you think the dudes were any better. Or they didn't even show up to see the dead Jesus. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of men, over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. and then the ladies remembered his words and when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. Meaning that, again, the women went, men stayed home. Guys, if you feel like I'm hell bashing. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the others with them that told this to the apostles. But they, the men, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Ladies, if you've ever felt like men don't listen... Dudes, I'm a dude. I'm with you. <laughs> like, I'm going to be straight. Us men, we, I got in trouble this in first service. so probably we will hear it. Children, just close your ears for just a second. Us men, we're idiots. It's better if we just admit it. But the thief was also a dude, just reminding you. It says, verse 12, that these words, verse 11, seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up from the tomb, got up, ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what's happened. The Bible in three stories, Genesis 2, Garden of Eden, Revelation 22, paradise restored, paradise lost, Paradise restored. How is paradise restored? It's about Golgotha and that garden tomb where Jesus was buried. And yes, he really did go in dead. And yes, I believe he really did come out alive. That's why we worship on a Sunday morning. Because it was the first day of the week when they discovered him. And I will just flat out tell you that it is my 100% full belief that this is real and it makes a difference for eternity. That there is real hope. Because Jesus is alive. But I'm going to tell you, if you struggle with that at all, like seriously, come back next week because we're going to focus on Peter here where it says Peter looked in and saw. Peter had to recognize what was going on. In fact, Peter had to get up off the couch. I don't think they had couches because remember they they sat like this when they, every table you see of the Lord's Supper, right? They're, they're down there on the pillows. And, so I don't think they had couches. So... Peter had to get up and go see for himself. You and I, we got to do the same. But it's worth certainly noting that this thief must have breathed his last. And when he breathed his next, in eternity, he was there with Jesus. That, my friends, is hope. And so I want to end our service with two prayers, and then we're going to come back and sing some more, because frankly, the resurrection deserves some singing, doesn't it? Yeah. But it occurs to me, I think it occurred to this thief, and I hope it does to you, that the entire reason Jesus could save me is because Jesus didn't save himself. And if you're here and you need Jesus for the very first time today, maybe you'd pray with me right now. Just like, in a sense, the thief on the cross. You'd say, Jesus, I don't deserve you. This might even be you online. Jesus, I don't deserve you. But remember me when you come into your kingdom. Forgive me. Accept me. What little faith I have, I put in you. Jesus, I believe you're alive. And there's hope. So save me. In Jesus' name. And if that's you and you prayed that right now, man, I'd love to know that. You can tell someone who came with you. They'll tell me. You uh, You can tell me by filling out the communication card or online the digital communication card. You, you can find me right after service. I'll be right outside. You, you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at com. I would love to celebrate that you've become a follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of us became followers of Christ, you know, a couple of years back. Our friend Jack included. And so maybe today you'd pray this prayer of application with me. For those of us who've been Jesus followers for a long time, we're reminded every Easter of hope, so let's embrace it. Maybe you'd pray this out loud with me. Dear Jesus, thank you that you didn't save yourself so you could save us. So over the next six weeks, help us together to live changed lives. To live your forgiveness. To live your grace. To live from faith. And to embrace real hope. Jesus, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. And we want to share it freely. Thank you that there's hope. In Jesus' name.